Coming at you with the smooth jazz of today, it's Ananth Veluvali, host of the new podcast, The Extemper's Bible. For global citizens curious about U.S. and international politics, and extempers who want to get closer to the speech and debate community, this is the podcast for you. Each week on The Extemper's Bible, we'll take a closer look at the news, extemp strategy, book recommendations, interviews, and more. It is the place every extemper wanted, all in one. Coming to you, it's the Extemper's Bible. Hey everybody, welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Extemper's Bible. We're here with Tanner Jones. He competed for Edina High School and graduated in 2018. He was the captain of the Edina speech team and finaled at several prestigious tournaments, such as Apple Valley and Glenbrooks. He was the top seed at the Northwestern Extemporaneous Tournament of Champions, was invited to the Montgomery Bell Academy Round Robin, finaled at NCFLs in 2017, and his greatest accomplishment, placed second at Nationals in 2018, making him the only kid during his high school tenure to final at both NCFLs and NSDA Nationals. He's currently a second-year student at Dartmouth University. Thanks for taking part in the interview, Tanner. It means a lot. Uh, thanks for having me, Ananth. I think this is really cool that you're doing this. Thank you. So let's just get started with the interview then. Um, how did you get started in extemporaneous speaking? Like, what drove you to this activity over others like Model UN or Mock Trial? Um, it was kind of happened by accident, actually. So I was playing baseball um, early in high school in ninth grade. And that was really my thing. That was my extracurricular. I really didn't, like, I think that unlike a lot of debate kids, I wasn't super, I wasn't particularly college oriented. Um, and my parents didn't really care either way. It was kind of like, yeah, do what you think is best for you sort of thing. But um, I thought the idea of debate sounded interesting. And my dad always kind of encouraged me. I think he was just fed up with arguing with me and was like, you should try out debate. And so I thought the concept of it was cool. I always was interested in politics, especially kind of the horse race aspect of U.S. elections. And so I joined the debate team my freshman year, did Lincoln-Douglas debate, and really, really enjoyed that. It was just super bummed. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, I was really bummed when the season ended. Yeah, and actually I was about to quit before my first tournament. But my dad was – because I felt really out of place with a lot of the other kids on the debate team. I didn't know them very well. I – thought they were all much smarter than me. And my dad was like, go to the first tournament at least. I went, I had a blast. Um, yeah, so I loved LD. And then our coach also coached the extemp team. And he was like, um, you should try this extemp speaking thing. And I went to the speech info meeting for the whole speech team and was like, there's no way I'm doing this. It seemed very performative. And there was like yeah. a, a duo demonstration and an HI demonstration at the beginning. Yeah, not exactly like, very extemp-like. Yeah, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I would be horrible at this. I would be horrible. But, like, somehow I got coerced into going to the first couple of practices, and I just thought the idea of extemp was sick. Like, that's you good. That's follow good the news, you get to know everything that's going on, and you can be asked about anything. So that's, I mean, to me, the biggest problem with debate was we would go up against schools with vastly superior prep armies. You know, kids mm -hmm. I would debate against, had never cut one of their own cards yeah, would I agree. handily because their files were so much bigger. And in extemp, that sort of prep advantage is mitigated against by the fact that 
there's such a wide breadth of questions. And also, agree, yeah. you, know, you aren't reading cards in the round. It's all limited by how much you can drill into your brain in those 30 minutes before you go up to give the speech. So I thought that created more of an equal playing field and, and, and accomplished the same goal of forcing you to be persuasive in the know about current events, critical yeah. thinking skills, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you stuck with Extemp. And in a podcast just a couple of episodes ago, I talked about one of the same things. Extemp is one of those individual events where it's more merit-based than debate activities, and it's really up to you. Um, so let's move on. I know that a lot of Extempers have Extemp crushes, for lack of a better word. That is people on the national circuit or on the local circuit who inspire them to do better and are people that you really try to mimic in your style. For me, it was you, Dylan Edelman, and Dylan Slinger, all of whom had really content-oriented speeches. And as someone who's been exposed to the activity longer than most, including myself, do you have any extempers in mind that inspired you to work hard and try to mimic your speeches? That's as you'd say. But yeah, definitely Dylan Slinger for me as well. Probably the single uh, most influential extemp speaker, I would say. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to emulate how this guy spoke, the way that he put emphasis on different parts of his sentences, the way that he oriented his substructure. I mean, and the thing that I really liked about this guy beyond, you know, he has a great speaking voice to begin with, but yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I tried to emulate that stylistically, but the thing that is really impressive about him and that he gives two national final round speeches, I believe that he won both US and- Yeah, he won both I of them. Yeah, which is very impressive for sure. But um, he uses every, I mean, if you think about the different components of an extemp speech as they're typically broken down, your A sub point, your B sub point, your on top, your AGD, your statement of significance, your thesis, things like this. Each one of those components he was using, it felt like to create a, a broader picture, like each was a puzzle piece in a, a broader entity that was the, the larger speech. You know, I think that uh, a lot of times you'll see extemp speakers, really, really good ones, use the different components of their speeches um, as kind of bells and whistles more than anything else. Like, oh, this on top is going to give a great joke, but it doesn't really serve an argumentative purpose. And I mean, th there's a debate to be had about which is better and which is more entertaining and, you know, whatever. But what I personally was more drawn to was this style that he always used, which seemed like every part of his speech is reinforcing the content. I agree, yeah. One, uh, uh, convincing his judges and audience that he is answering the question, and then two, providing whatever that answer to the question happens to be. You know, like the on tops would provide some historical context or give you a general principle that the rest of the point would rely on, things like this. It, it didn't seem like he spared any breath on anything that wasn't working towards the argumentative aims of his speech. And um, another speaker that did that really well was James Homan, who one U.S. extemp two or three times or some, something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, I've cited him a couple times in my speeches now. Works at the yeah, Washington he's Post. Like a, he's the Washington Post Daily uh, 202 or whatever it is. Yeah, and hopefully down the road, maybe we can get Todd Herring, who coached James Homan, or Andy Cherrier, who coached Dylan Slinger on this podcast. That'd be really cool. Yeah, Andy was my coach my novice year. Um, and Todd Herring judged me a whole lot, and I know both of those – guys are kind of legends in terms of who they've coached. Yeah. So as someone then who's tried to mimic those extempers and who's, you know, had a lot of competitive success as an extemper, 
what was the most helpful piece of advice that you've received over the years? Most helpful piece of advice. Um, okay. This was the most helpful piece of advice actually by far. Um, the probably one person who I also tried to emulate a lot was this kid, Matias Figari, who didn't have a lot of opportunities to compete on the national circuit. And I think he would have done really well had he had those opportunities. He was a senior when I joined the extemp squad the spring of my sophomore year at Edina. And the first tournament I went to, I watched him win this tournament. <laughs> and two of the people that were in the final round went on to be national finalists and one of them a national champion Jacob Thompson and Olivia Shoemaker and I'm pretty sure he picketed he picketed this and went straight ones in the final round it was a bid tournament on a really fantastic content heavy speech he didn't make a single joke he didn't tell a single anecdote or kind of story meant to tug at the heartstrings yeah like within the first 10 seconds he was citing books providing a historical background and then this incredibly analytic speech um, where he seemed to address, you know, you'd, little concerns would arise in your mind. What about this? What about that? And it was as if he knew that and immediately would respond. And, you know, oftentimes he was doing this even preemptively. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would watch speeches like that and was like, wow, this is really impressive. He knows his stuff. Um, you know, I remember one time we, we asked him as a team, he was like, I bet I can tell you anything happening in the world right now. And jokingly, someone's like, oh, what about Antarctica? And he says, boom, according to the Wall Street Journal last week, Wow. There is drilling going on in Antarctica right now. As climate change melts glaciers, there's beginning to become a, an international race for who's going to lay claim to the oil that's now being revealed as the glaciers melt away. So would this be then a, a fair uh, summary of what you're trying to get at? Basically, an extemp knowledge is power and a good extemp speech preemptively addresses any doubts oh, the judge no. might have. <laughs> I guess I was kind of meandering. There is actually a specific piece of advice he told me. Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking around this guy, but... Um, this was the specific piece of advice because I was struggling a lot getting into this kind of robotic extent voice. And he said to me, slow down and have a conversation with your judge. Yeah. He, he was like, re-explain your first point to me just as if you're Tanner Jones talking, talking about it with me. And I did that exercise a couple of times. And then once I started adopting that conversational tone, that regular person to person tone in my actual speeches, I started seeing a lot more competitive success. Yeah, I, I can attest to the same thing. It was something I struggled with until this year, I would say, to really be conversational with the judges. But now that I've been able to do it, I think it's definitely helped me as well. So on that note of competitive success then, was there ever a moment where something clicked and you realized you had a lot of potential in this activity? Oh, man. Um... See, that's interesting. <laughs> what would actually happen is that the speeches I would get the best ranks on, I would think that they went horribly. And then sometimes I'd be like, that was such a good speech and get the five. So I yeah, never, that's, that's an infuriating thing. Yeah, I never really had a good barometer of where my own skills were at. But I, I definitely like knew that I had some potential. Our first tournament in the novice division, like I was fortunate enough to break to the varsity finals or something out wow. of the novice division and then I was like well I guess I probably have more potential in this than LD so I'll start investing more time into this but um I mean the thing about extemp is that you know you can be asked about anything and you're not going to know everything so 
there's a strategic component of it. And it's, it is hard to know when you're doing well. And sometimes there are really good people in your rounds. Sometimes they're bad people. So meaning you might get the one on a far inferior speech to one you got the four on one time. Yeah, I agree. And you'll never really know because you don't watch all the other speakers. Sometimes you don't even know who your competitors are. You don't know what they spoke on all of the time. Um, It's hard to have that barometer, but I I mean, I would say that um, even at the times when I felt like I was failing, um, being able to remind myself remind myself of times when I had succeeded kept me going. So yeah, that, and that's what I would say. I'm going to use that as a segue then onto the next note of, about success. So you've been someone who's been close to extent for quite some time. You've had a lot of competitive accepts. We've established that. So as someone who's seen a lot of extemp speeches, then what was one big mistake you've seen a lot of competitors make during their prep or during the actual speech? Um, I mean, it's always sad to see in a big final round when someone doesn't answer the question. And like, I feel like this happens every big final round, at least one of the speakers and oftentimes more don't really answer the question. And like, yeah, I, I did this a lot. You know, I would get to bigger stages and then kind of choke and lose sight of the question. Um, and you hate to see that. And you, like it, it's a lot of really high quality extempers do this a lot. So, and I mean, but that, this is the number one thing coaches are always saying is answer the, answer the question, make sure you're answering the question. So. Yeah, I, I think that's, it seems like a really obvious piece of advice and yet so many extempers forget to do it. It's, it's easy to lose sight of it in those 30 minutes when there are other things like nerves getting involved, when you want to flex your knowledge on one thing that's not really relevant, but you want to try to shoehorn it in somehow. Yeah. So, there are a lot of factors at play that explain it. On the note of nerves then, and more broadly, just extemp burnout, basically everybody in speech and debate deals with lots of nerves or maybe some stress, so much stress that they, they don't want to do this activity anymore. If that's ever been a problem with you, how exactly did you cope with that? And do you have any advice for extempers today? Um, in all honesty, I, I never really experienced that. I think I was fortunate in that I joined speech and debates later than a lot of folks. I, I mean, like I didn't start giving extemp speeches until um, the spring of my sophomore year in high school. And yeah. so the burnout, it was also new to me. And I didn't feel like I had really mastered any of it until the very end of high school whereas I know other people are in the activity for a long long time and they can burn out and I've seen a lot of really promising people struggle with that um but I mean it's all about how you balance your priorities in your life and there's more to life than speech and debate I found it to be something that was you know gave me a lot of fulfillment and I had a lot of fun with at that time in my life yeah, I agree. Um, but it's important to keep everything in balance, and it's certainly not for everyone. And if people feel like their time in the activity is done and they can use their skills elsewhere, there's nothing wrong with that. Awesome. So we're back in 2018. You're in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Breaks have just been posted for finals. You find out you're in the final round. What's going through your head? How are you making sure you're well prepared? Um, dang that's a good question. So I think, so my, I mean, my approach always was I'm going to get nervous if I don't do anything. So I'm just going to spend this time prepping. Yeah. It was all about, it was all about spending all my waking hours prepping as much as I could. So that was 
emailing with um, our coach about what approaches he would take on different questions, reading everything in the news, figuring out what each headline is. The, the final round is always some, some topic area, something along the lines of the news next week or, you know, the world next week, the U.S. next yeah. week, something like this. So they're kind of like predictive questions that are broad, but informed by some current event, but, but, you know, some immediate current event, but it would never be hyper-specific. It would be an opportunity to speak more broadly about whatever's going on. And I think this is sort of like, they write these questions. They, nobody wants to see someone fail on the final stage. So the questions are yeah. not particularly difficult. Um, they're giving everyone an opportunity to hit a home run. And the question is who's going to, you know, knock it out of the park. Um, so I prepped a lot and actually <laughs> it's funny. None of my prep ended up mattering. The question that I was stuck with the most recent thing I had on it was like from a week ago. And then the next wow. most recent thing was from two months ago. And I was citing sources from a year ago. I had to rely on a lot of books uh, in that speech and, and things like this, things with longer self lives. Awesome. But I would say prep was the way yeah. that I dealt with that. So on that note then, I've noticed this has become a trend in extemp, both in Minnesota and nationally. Where we're seeing people cite outdated sources and sources that aren't necessarily of the top academic quality. So what advice do you have for people in terms of what were some of your favorite sources to cite as an extemper and what were some of your favorite books? Well, I'll preface this by saying like nobody who's even a senior in high school, so you know what, 17 years old at the most is going to actually know whether or not the federal reserve should raise interest rates is going to actually know what will be the best policy to take with regards to the U S and some foreign country. Should we, you know, do this or this? You know, nobody actually knows. And frankly, nobody should trust a high school student on their prognosis about this. Yeah. So the best thing we can do is defer to the experts and balance what different experts are saying with each other. Um, and I, I don't mean to discount anyone's intelligence or anything like this, but the point is it's, it's kind of an act of hubris to cite only CNN or something and then think you can really answer a question. Um, because you know, those are just news reports. Like you need some more in-depth analysis. Um, so then getting to your actual question, my favorite sources would be Council on Foreign Relations. I agree. What a great source. Yeah. The Economist is fantastic. But in terms of these more academic ones, um, for me, it was about finding specific people on each issue. So like there's this guy, Abbas Aminat, who is, you know, a professor at Yale and he talks a lot about us foreign policy. So he became my go-to guy for U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East because, I mean, part of this is personal preference. I enjoyed reading what he had to write, his writing style, um, mm-hmm. and his arguments made a lot of sense to me. Um, Desmond Lackman, who writes for American Enterprise Institute, wrote a lot of great stuff about the Federal Reserve, and he became a source that I turned to a lot. So I'd say it's, a, it's all about going down the rabbit hole, following the internal citations. Oh, the New York Times cites this professor who conducted this really interesting study. I'm not just going to cite the New York Times and leave it at that. I'm going to figure out what university this prop is at. I'm going to look at their other work. What other peer-reviewed stuff do they have on Google Scholar? And go down that rabbit hole and figure out who the experts are. And then what's really good is if you find a couple experts who disagree with each other and are arguing with each other in the scholarly literature, and you'll see a back and forth between, you know, this professor and this professor on, on issue. And it's reading that discourse and citing that in your speeches that's 
going to give you a better understanding of any issue. There, there are a few things that are as impressive to a judge as citing those high quality sources. And I think it's one of the best ways to set yourself apart in those really close rounds. So yeah, really great sources. A little bit sad you didn't mention 538, but. Uh, oh, I love 538. That's like an OG source. Yeah. I used to get that like twice or three times a speech in my novice year. Yeah, it wasn't yeah it's great, a great source. So um, now on a more fun note, which tournament was your favorite throughout your attempt career and why? Wow, that's really hard. Um, I mean, Nationals, my senior year, was a ton of fun because um, uh, I, was, I was able to see some success at that. Um, actually, probably NCFL was my junior year. I really liked that tournament. It was too bad that I wasn't able to go back my senior year. Um, that tournament was a ton of fun. NCFLs, we had a great group there. There were that we only took extempers to the tournament. Wow. The entire time, everyone was in extemp mode. I got to compete alongside my sister, which was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of my closest friends from when I started out debating who ultimately went into other events as they approached graduation. But at that point, we were all still doing extemp. So that was super fun to all be working together. And we'd be up super late prepping out outlines and thinking of questions and how we would answer them and, Oh, look at this great article. I'll Facebook message it to you. I highlighted this part. And it was such a great collaborative atmosphere. And I think three of the four of us, I think we brought four or five and then like all but one person broke, which was wow. fun. And it was just a really fun tournament. Like we had, all of us had only ever competed on the Minnesota circuit before. Yeah. So this was our first time out of the state and it was a little bit overwhelming at first, but we all just had a lot of confidence. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that, that was a really, really fun tournament. Yeah, and it sucks that NCFLs has been canceled because of the coronavirus, but that was oh, a tournament really? I was looking That's forward to. Yeah. And NSDA has moved online as well as the TOC. Yeah. And NITOC have been canceled. That's crazy. So um, you've been someone who's professed that they don't like this less content heavy, more delivery oriented focus that's begun to rise in popularity on the national circuit. Can you explain why exactly? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel actually quite strongly about this and I don't, I don't mean to criticize anyone. And I, I, I think that the people who continue to be the best at extemp are giving fantastic speeches and are really, really smart. But what I have seen is that there's this been this stylistic change. I mean, you watch videos from NSTA finals 10 years ago and people are getting up there making really, really solid arguments, great, great points, very nuanced substructure. Yeah. And you wonder if they could even final because they didn't tell a single joke in their speech. So here's my sort of thing on this. Delivery is so subjective. I mean, what I think is funny or cute or cool or entertaining could be wildly different than from someone else thinks. I mean, the factors that will influence how you assess someone's delivery are so wide and varied. I mean, no. that said, there's a threshold everyone needs to cross. You can't be stumbling, you know, your gestures yeah. should align with what you're saying, but you get the point. It's but hard could, couldn't someone say the same thing for content, that content is also subjective? No, uh, no. I mean, I think the question of like facts is a question of objectivity. You know, did you answer the question? There are ways to objectively assess a speech. Did yeah. you answer the question? Were your points contradicting each other? 
you know, did these points reinforce your broader thesis? Did each of the three points answer the question? Did you cite sources that were recent and high quality? Did your arguments, did your claims have warrants? You know, did you provide data for your, to substantiate your claims? You know, yeah, these are things that are all questions of factors. Yeah, these are all questions of objective measurements. And I think you can go down the line and assess speakers along that. And then delivery should be a second question that comes afterwards because it's so subjective. Do you think we could deal with those issues of like a subjective uh, like evaluation of delivery with something like a paradigm for extemp judges? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of extempers have talked about that in the past. I mean... Look, I'm not super involved in this activity. A lot of other people have spent a lot more time thinking about this than I have. People have made their careers out of extemp speaking and certainly have thought about these things. You know, maybe they haven't and that's because they're not real issues. So I don't want to, you know, claim that I know what extemp yeah. needs or anything like that. Yeah, a paradigm might be a solution. I, I haven't thought about that, frankly, at all. So I'd probably need to think more about that. Um, so I'll, I'll probably I'll, I'll probably hone a little bit elsewhere then if you had to change one rule in extemp then what would it be and why change one rule um there aren't many rules i guess it be like open internet cross-examination extra prep time yeah i think more cross-ex is better um i think that the current prep is good i mean i guess this is an unwritten rule that i would get rid of i think people should be less attached dogmatically so to this three point structure. That's now super entrenched. Yeah, you, can give I agree. A, you can give a good two point speech. You really can. Like, sometimes I, I do think that sometimes two point speeches are the right answer to a question. Yeah, I've, I've thought that many times when, when um, faced with certain questions, there's one really great, ah, it's actually Dylan Slinger. Yeah. He gives a two point yeah. speech in his uh, championship United States extent final round. Yeah, nowadays, I, the sad thing is nowadays, I don't think that would work. And um, that's why you often hear about the crap sandwich. You have two really good points and one point that's not super good. And oftentimes it's because it should be a two-point speech. Yeah, I mean, I just think like, the, you know, the structure is there as a tool to help. And there's a lot of good parts of it. But I wish there would be more experimentation with how it's used, like, Maybe play around with the kicker conclusion section a little bit yeah. or play around with how you introduce the question. I remember there's some, I mean, maybe this was a, just a, a fad, but in some of the older final rounds, you'll see some speakers do this thing where after they say the question, they say not to frame this question and then we'll, you know, offer some definitions or give a, yeah, like a broader philosophical a point that will then serve as the groundwork for the rest of their speech or this like, is the lens we're going to look through as we read this. I agree because sometimes there are questions like how effective is a certain policy? You have to define what effectiveness is. And so, yeah, I yeah. think it's important to have that right. sort yeah, of lens. So um, what advice do you have for younger extempers that want to achieve your level of success? Are there any specific resources or even camps that you recommend? Um... Let's see. Well, here's the great thing about extemp that I was alluding to earlier. Very democratic. You know, you can find almost anything you need in terms of sources online. You can watch yeah. the best of the best on YouTube for free. Yeah. Um, and like, for instance, my 
we still had really great resources at Udina. I don't want to undersell those at all, but the coach that worked most closely with me during my STEM career had to leave his post at Udina High School uh, like a week before the NBA round robin my senior year. Um, before I like, before my biggest accomplishments and extent happened. And I, that freaked me out. But what ultimately the lesson was coming out of that and after graduating from Edina and looking back was that um, it's about intrinsic motivation and spending your time wisely and using the resources that we all have on the internet. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time watching final round videos and reading. So, I mean, I would say the biggest piece of advice is just read, read everything and read high quality sources. And most importantly, be cognizant of the political bias implicit in everything you read. And I mean, even look it up if you're not sure. There are independent resources that will do fact checking and determine the propensity for each publication to go either left or right. Yeah. And if you're not cognizant of that, um, then you're not really thinking critically. So I would say putting all these pieces together um, and taking kind of a bird's eye view of the sources you look at and then being really careful about what you cite for each specific thing. I agree. And I mean, this is into science. I probably accomplished, you know, like 1% of what I'm claiming right now, but like this is ultimately what you want to strive for. Yeah. And with the advent of open prep where you can use the internet, I think there are even less excuses now than before. So I think it's something that falls on individual extempers to succeed. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried open prep is going to lower the bar quite a bit. I mean, because think Wolf. about that. You're, you're kind of beholden to the Google algorithms to a certain extent. Like, speeches are now going to be tilted towards what are the most clickbaity popular results that will happen, that'll pop up on the first page of Google. You know, you only have 30 minutes, and if you look something up, you're going to be, there's no way you're going to be getting the best analysis. You have no time to read a 40-page. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard a lot of respected judges like um... – Chris McDonald, who's the coach of Egan and several national champions, he said that was a big concern. But if you're heading into something with zero files before, you already have one foot in the yeah, grave. And so I, I, I do think you need files before it also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in your opinion, what are the qualities that a great extemporaneous speaker possesses? Like if you had to name the top three qualities that you've seen consistently across every extemper. Mm. Number one would be content. And that's probably broken down along, you know, the access of one accuracy is your content accurate, isn't informed by the news, good sources, this whole sourcing question. And then two, are you actually making arguments in a sophisticated way that answer the question and then are organized in a way that is digestible? So that would be number one. Number two is probably having a voice and a presence. Um, that's a big part of persuasion. I think it's, you know, people say that's like 90% of communication is nonverbal or, I mean, there's, I don't know how you'd even really quantify that, but regardless, you get the points yeah. that um, having a presence and I mean that manifests in your gestures and having confidence. So probably I guess the broader point is confidence. You get confidence by knowing what you're talking about by reading and being confident in your answer. I actually know this. And then conf confidence manifests in you're not stumbling when you're speaking your gestures are, um, you know, in alignment with what you're saying. You're easy to follow because you're not, you don't feel like you're dancing around an issue or trying to hide behind your lack of knowledge. Um, and so, yeah, I guess confidence is the big thing. 
it's awesome, a yeah. two-way street. It's about what you know and then making sure that you're informed. And there's no way you're going to be persuasive to your judge if you're not confident in yourself that you are answering the question correctly. And to all the listeners, if you are interested in that, we do have some podcasts on confidence and how you can make sure you still have a strong visual presence, even with an online tournament. All right. And we'll have one more question now. Last one. So as someone who competed at many different tournaments, can you explain the key differences in ones like the NBA, the ETOC, Nationals, Glenn Brooks, and others? Like what has been your experience in terms of like, which tournaments are more content heavy, which ones are more delivery heavy, which ones did you enjoy, which ones did you perhaps not enjoy as much? Um, it's hard to speak super generally about a tournament, but what I would say is the easiest thing to do is look up your judge before each round if you're concerned about content. First. I mean, you can figure out really easily with the internet who your judge is. Oh, this judge teaches theater at a high school and is their speech coach. Okay, I, I now know that my speech is going to be a little different than when it's, oh, this is a policy coach at this top policy high school. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, and I think you can also get like the sort of ideological leanings of your judge too. Like there have oh, been yeah. times where Absolutely. I've like Googled, I'm like, oh, this person's Trump supporter, this one's a Buddha judge supporter. The way that I orient the speech then changes. Yeah, no, I, I mean, when I started doing that my senior year, that was kind of game changing. Yeah. Because you want to tailor your speech to your judge as much as you can. Um, so then, yeah, on the question about tournaments, I know tournaments do their judging pools in different ways, like Extem TOC and NBA Round Robin are all just coaches of the kids who are entered there. So it's going to be people who coach Extem. And that means a lot of different things at a lot of different places. So there, you can't really speak generally about that either. But some have an IE section where it's, okay, this could just as easily be a DI coach as it is an Extem coach. Yeah. Um, you know, so it totally depends. It totally depends on the tournament. So well, just discuss the judge case by yeah. case, I would say, because it, it's hard to give an accurate generalization, I guess. Okay. Well, I want to thank you once again for taking your time <laughs> and out of your day and helping out with this interview. I'll let you know when the podcast has been uploaded, hopefully sometime today or tomorrow. And yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Anand, thanks. Keep up the good work. This kid is going to be doing big things, everyone. So <laughs> thank you. That means a lot. All, All right. See you, man. Later. Good luck with your prep. Good luck with online. You You too. All right. Well, that was the interview with Tanner Jones. I hope everyone enjoyed that as much as I did. I found that there were a lot of useful nuggets of information that I'm going to use in my extemp career this year, next year, and the year after that. And hopefully you can say the same thing. Once again, I want to thank Tanner for helping out with this interview. And hopefully there will be more interviews along the way. If you're interested in having your own interview with me, or you know someone who might be, please reach out. You can email me at anansbelavali at gmail.com, or reach out to my Instagram page, which I'll be creating pretty shortly, the Extempers Bible. And as always, make sure to follow because, man, this podcast is about to get real good real soon. So hopefully y'all enjoyed that episode. I'll talk to you soon in the future. Peace.